This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode number 88. You ready? You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the show. In today's show, it's all about how to crush it in 2018. We have a new year, and I want to learn all about setting goals, and not only how to set goals, but how to follow through on them. And so to help me with that, I have Rod Cleef on the show. Rod is just an incredibly experienced real estate investor who had hundreds of houses before the recession hit. Recession hit, they didn't do so well. In fact, he lost $50 million in that experiment, what he calls his seminar, a very expensive seminar. And he's since then changed a course and pursued multifamily, like, like what we do here. And he shares my passion about teaching people about financial freedom with real estate, specifically with apartment buildings. And this session is all about setting goals, how to do it right. Uh, he's got a five-step methodology for doing that. And then how to follow through and deal with those difficult, challenging setbacks, delays, uh, things that happen that discourage you, and how to deal with that as we get into the new year here. So without further ado, let's get into our interview with Rod Cleef. Hey, Rod. Welcome back to the show. Oh, it's such an honor to be here, my friend. This is absolutely incredible. And we've become friends since the last episode. And it's just really exciting to be back with you publicly here. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And today is obviously close to almost Christmas now. So the time this episode come out will be early January, but it's a typical warm weather for both of us, but enjoying it nonetheless. So I want to revisit your story just a little bit. I think the last episode we had you on was in episode 38. Yep, that's so right. You guys want to get all of Rod's story. We went through that in episode 38. But I do want to kind of recap your story because it's a really interesting one. And hey, man, you lost like $50 million in the Great Recession. That's a lot of millions to lose. Ow. Yeah, how that sounds how like in it. the world could this happen to an intelligent person like yourself? Well, you know, you threw me on that, buddy. <laughs> You're right. How could it happen? So I immigrated when I was six years old, ended up in Denver. Didn't have much money. I had to wear Goodwill clothes. My mom had to buy expired food. She bought the house across the street from us when I was 14 with her babysitting money. And when I was 17, she told me she'd made 20 grand on it. And then I decided to get into real estate. And fast forward to today, I've owned 2,000 houses, multiple apartment communities in three states. But back to 2008. In fact, let me, let me just say something pleasurable for a moment. In 2006, my net worth went up $17 million, okay? So that's the pleasurable part, which felt good. You know, if you do the math on it, it's $3,800 an hour, if you want to know. Anyway, then 2008 happened. So how did 2008 happen and how did I lose $50 million in 2008? I'll tell you why. Because I wasn't in multifamily properties. I had a couple, but most of my properties were single family. I had 800 houses from two hours north to two hours south and everywhere in between from Sarasota, Florida. And it just didn't logistically work well. Couple that with the fact that taxes and insurance here in Florida are very, very high. And I was in wind and flood zones in many of these properties. So that even makes it exponentially higher, which absolutely minimizes your cash flow. And then the bulk of my inventory was C minus stuff, little small houses, which were the working class people, a lot of the construction people. And of course, all of that came to a screeching halt in 08. Nobody was building anything. So all these people couldn't pay. They had to move. Logistically, very, very challenging to manage that many houses because, you know, for example, you send a maintenance guy out to a house. It's an hour away. He doesn't know what he's going to encounter. 
He gets there, he evaluates it, he goes and finds a Lowe's, maybe that's 30 minutes away or Home Depot, then he comes back with parts, maybe he discovers something else, he has to go back again. And what would take 30 minutes at an apartment complex takes all day at a house that's an hour away. So I thought it was going to go great because, you know, 80 million baby boomers getting old, getting cold. You know, that was my line. That's how I got investors. Isn't that great? 80 million baby boomers getting old and getting cold. Anyway, I truly believed it. And I thought, you know, Florida is recession proof. Well, (laughs) we all know that wasn't the case. Anyway, so that's how an intelligent guy loses $50 million. I'd like to think I'm intelligent. You know, countries went bankrupt, you know, so I'm just a little guy. It was ugly. It was painful. Let's get past that pain and talk about how we can motivate other people to get past their setbacks and talk about how I got past that one. Because I will tell you, that kind of a seminar, I call them seminars. It's never a failure if you learn, okay? It's a seminar. And that seminar, of course, was my biggest one. But a lot of people can't get past things like that, you know, when they lose everything they've worked for their whole life, which is what happened to me. Yeah, I'm sure it's not pleasant going back there, but, you know, I thought I was pretty smart as well, Rod, and, you know, didn't quite lose $50 million, but almost lost my shirt going into the restaurant business now. Again, why Mm -hmm. the heck would anyone get in a restaurant business, you know? That doesn't appear the brightest thing, but here's the thing. We do the best we can with the knowledge that we have, and like you said, I don't think there's any mistakes. I think there's just learning opportunities. I mean, for both of us, I mean, I'm a different person than I was totally different person. We're both better people. Better you know, people. We, I mean, uh, I think if you're looking at phases, like before this, it was really all about me. And maybe I included it in my family in that, but it's really all about me. Until oh. I can realization is not about me anymore, is how can I serve others? And then the fundamental shift, and this was this happened in my depths of my misery. I'm like, this can't be it, right? It can't be about me because obviously there's nothing left of it. So it's got to be about something else. So I don't know. How did that experience change you? At the oh, core? I mean, exactly what you just described. I will tell you. So I'm floating in my pool in my $8 million house, my three-story testament to my ego, and I got really depressed. And when I look back on this, this was a dream that I'd had for 20 years, by the way, this massive house that I built on the beach. And I was floating in this pool, and I realized I was depressed, and I should have been really happy. And I look back on that, and I realized two things were happening. One of them was I was absolutely focused on me, like you were talking about. It was all about me. It was all about success and proving to the world I was good enough, frankly. And then what happened, in addition to that, and this is, relates to goals, which I hope we get into today, but you never achieve a big goal. I had achieved a big goal, and I didn't know what I was going to do next. You should never achieve a big goal without having other goals lined up behind it. That was the other thing. But back to being almost quasi-narcissistic, back then I realized it wasn't just about me. And that year, it was 2000, and, and I started feeding families for the holidays and fed five families that year, changed my life, I had an incredible experience at the third family. Everybody was crying and grateful that we'd brought them this food. And last Saturday, fed 1,200 families. You know, we have benefited about 60,000 children over the last 17 years. So again, it ties right into what you just said, getting out of your own head, focused on me, 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 me. When you focused outward, the universe, God, whatever you believe conspires to help you, conspires to help you grow and become more, you know, you're still going to have setbacks and challenges, but it gives your life a richness and a meaning that you don't get by being focused totally on success. And I know all the people that are listening to your show, that listen to my show, they want success at all costs. And my friends, I'm here to tell you, especially in this holiday time, life isn't about just success. In fact, success without fulfillment, without a meaning beyond yourself is empty. 
you don't have to do anything as grandiose as I just talked about feeding 60,000 children. But even if you just do something, you just help an elderly person, maybe that lives alone, you know, help a child or do something for your community to help animals or children or anything, anything at all. It can be just a little bit of your time gives your life a richness you're not going to get from the success. And success without that, trust me, I know what it's like. And it's the worst feeling in the world because you've achieved all this stuff, but you're not happy. What's going on? As a good perspective, you know, for people here listening, what are you talking about? I'm not successful yet. It appears to be a chicken egg problem. And I think the... It's how, not how, one or the other. I yeah. think from my perspective, when I shifted from it's all about me, and this is just simply, hopefully just help other people, stop being about me, the success kind of came like faster than I frankly could have architected myself. And a lot of people share that. I don't know if that's your experience as well. I was already successful by society's opinion of success, yeah. but I didn't feel it. But listen, anything you give comes back tenfold, period. I mean, that's just the law of the universe, be it money, be it time, be it value. If you add more value, you will be more successful. I mean, my podcast, for example, like yours, I mean, we're adding tons of value and I've gotten so much back from that. It's been incredible, frankly. It's been humbling. It's been yeah. so massive. It's been humbling. It's a new year, so I want to get your perspective on setting goals. Sure. We want to crush it in 2018. I want to talk about goal setting a little bit and then kind of what follows beyond that, which is a lot of times a lack of action after one sets our goals. So I want to talk about both of those and get your feedback. What is your methodology for setting goals, in particular now in this case for the new year? This is something I love talking about. And I'll tell you what I'll do, and I can do it fairly quickly. I'm going to take you and your listeners through an exercise I take my coaching students through. And basically, it's not hard, but it's a little different than most people think of when they just write their New Year's resolutions or they write their goals. And what you find is when you do that, you know, you lose them after a couple of weeks. That's just how it works. So this gives them power. This gives them legs. So most people spend more time planning Christmas than they do designing their lives, okay? And so it is critical that you Take some time to do this, just an hour. This whole process I'm about to describe to you takes an hour. So what you do is you pick a time that you have the most energy, whatever that is in the day for you, be it morning or evening. And if you have a spouse, it's a great thing to do with your spouse or your significant other, but make sure you're uninterrupted. Make sure you're hydrated. Don't do it after you've just eaten. Energy is critical for this process. So you sit down and you write down everything you could ever possibly want in life. And I mean everything. I mean, if you take the lid off your brain and imagine that if you write it down, you're going to get it, which is not outside the realm of reality, okay? So write it down. Like I say, the big things, I don't care if it's the yachts, the jets, the private islands, whatever it is, the houses in other countries, the material things, write down the boats, the cars, the planes, the jet skis, the motorcycles, all the stuff that you want. Write down all the stuff. Write down what you want to learn. You know, I want to learn how to fly helicopters. In fact, right behind the camera here is my drum set. I want to learn how to play those drums. I've been sitting there for a year and I just haven't had the time to practice. Write down what you want to learn. What do you want to master? Maybe it's a foreign language. Maybe you want to write a book. Whatever it is, write it down. Everything that you can think of. Write down who you want to help. You know, I bought my parents a house. I bought them a car. I took them on cruises. Who do you want to do something for? It? Your spouse, your children, your parents. You maybe I'd love to pay off my brother's houses. That hasn't happened yet. Who do you want to help? Again, beyond just you, because that's what adds richness to you. Maybe you want to do something in the community. Maybe you want to help elderly children, 
whatever it is, but don't stop writing. Those of you that are analytical, don't analyze what you're writing down. Just You can scratch it out later. Just keep writing till you can't think of another thing. That's step one, okay? Those are not goals yet because they're not measurable. To be goals, they have to be measurable. So the next thing is you do is you put a number by each one of those goals that you've written down as to how long it's going to take you to achieve it. Put a one for one year, three, five, 10, or 20. Remembering that as human beings, we will overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and massively underestimate what we can do in five to 10 years. So don't forget that. So you're going to put a number by each goal. Then I'm going to suggest what you do next is you pick your number one goal. What's the one that juices you the most? For me, back in the day, it was having that house on the beach that I just described. That was a big one for 20 years for me. We lived in Denver and there's no beaches in Denver. So I had pictures of palm trees and all kinds of stuff like that. Pick your top goal. Then pick your three top one-year goals. So a total of four goals, write them on a separate sheet of paper. Now, most people stop here. The goals are important, but the goals are not going to juice you. The goals aren't going to push you. The goals aren't going to get you back up when you get knocked down. The goals aren't going to get you to take that first step most of the time. It's the why that's going to do it. Sit down and write a paragraph for each goal, why it's an absolute must, so that I can show my wife what success looks like, or my husband, or I can feel like I've finally achieved. I can escape the rat race. Use as powerful language as you can as well. Words are very, very powerful. So use words that move you and stir you. So write down a paragraph for each goal, why it's an absolute must. Then take it one little tiny step further and put some pain in there. If you don't achieve the goal, so I don't feel like a failure, so I don't let down my family, make it painful because as human beings, we'll do more to avoid pain than gain pleasure. So that's the next step. Now you've just done more than 99.99% of the people in the world, but the next step is you must get pictures. Go on Google, look at images that resonate with you, find ones that when you look at them, they move you, they stir you, they resonate with you, put them on a flash drive, go to Walgreens or CVS, have them blown up and put them somewhere you're going to see them every day. Let me give you a couple of examples. And I may have mentioned this on the previous time I was on. My examples relate to cars for the most part because I love vehicles, okay? So when I first got my real estate license, I was 18. I got a Ford four-door Granada because I thought that's what everybody you know, had to have to be in real estate. Ugliest thing you've ever seen. I worked for a guy that had a Corvette and he let me drive it once. That was critical piece. He let me drive it. So I got to feel it. I got to see what it was like. I got a picture out of a magazine. This is way before the internet. I put a picture of that Corvette on the visor of my Granada. Year later, I had a Corvette. Two more examples. And please realize that this is not me bragging. This is just my story. It's all I can share because I, I don't know anybody else's story, but this is my story. And these things don't even interest me anymore, frankly. I saw a TV show with, the actor was Tom Selleck, it was Magnum P.I., and he drove a Ferrari 308, beautiful red Ferrari. I thought that was the coolest thing I had ever seen. So I got a picture of that Ferrari and put it on the visor of my Corvette. A couple years later, I had a Maserati, looked just like it. Last car example, I'm the guy that always wanted a Lamborghini. I had the posters in my room of the Lamborghinis with the bikini girls and the beach and all this stuff. That was me. And I'm not the only one, I know that. That was definitely me. What's interesting, I even have what I was just going to describe. It's right here on my shelf. My son collected model cars. I forgot that I had this in here. So there is a model of the exact same color and style Lamborghini that I ended up getting, which is just ironic, frankly, because he had about 30 of these models. So guys, get the pictures. In fact, let me show you one last example. 
I talk about this, but this is my planner. I am a dinosaur. I use a paper planner. And in the back of this thing, I've got pictures that if you see this, you'll see how dog-eared they are. They've been in here for 20 years, okay? First few pictures are my gratitude pictures. They're my children when they were very young. Then I've got pictures of the houses that I wanted, that I've gotten. You know, again, things that don't matter to me anymore. The watches, I've got a few hundred thousand dollars worth of watches. Again, doesn't matter to me. The Lamborghini, before I got it, the Rolls Royce, all these things that I got because I had pictures. So guys, you know, those of you thinking this is foofy stuff, trust me, it works, okay? So that's how I do my goal setting. The goals, the whys, and then pictures that stay in front of me. So I remember what it is I want and why I want it. Yeah, that's good. I love that. I also like the whys behind it that you have, you know, why is it that's so important to you? And then what's the downside if you're not achieving that goal? The next phase, which is the actual taking the action step, right? So we all sit there and, and like you said, you know, we're better off than 99% of other people out there who never actually set plans. So that's fantastic. And then there's, of course, the follow through or in many cases, the lack of follow through. Here's some of the things that we're getting from our coaching students that really hold them back, but frankly, at different parts of the process. So mm-hmm. sometimes in the beginning, there's things that hold you back and there's a different set of things that hold you back after they've actually decided to move forward. So one of the ones early in the beginning is an inability to decide. And you see that by things like procrastinating or analysis paralysis, right? So they're sure. not taking action. Sure. How can we help people with that decision, which oftentimes there's a lot of things associated with that decision. There could be a cost or investment. There could be a scary thought stepping into the unknown, right? How can we help people make that decision so they can move forward? Well, there are several factors. You said quite a few things there. And for many people, it can be different things. If it's analysis paralysis, it can be just a super analytical person that stays in their head that has a difficult time actually taking action, getting outside of their head and actually taking action. So, I will say this, the process that we just talked about is critical for everybody, especially someone like that, that has had a challenge taking action in the past because you must know what it is you want and you have to have a strong enough reason why. You have to get enough leverage that you get uncomfortable. And that's why the pain piece of the why can be so important. If you've lived the same life, you've said, I should do this, I should do that, I should do this, and you should it all over yourself basically over the last you know, decade then you've got to get that leverage. You've got to get to a leverage point where you take action, whatever that is. So you've got to find that pain point or you've got to you know, find that compelling reason that pushes you to get outside of comfort because your magnificent life is on the other side of comfort. So that's what I would say to the super analytical person. Get me back on track with the other scenario that you mentioned. Other reasons why they don't decide, it could be a fear of failure, right? These are things that keep someone from moving forward. Well, you know, I will say this, and what's scary about me saying this is that the super analytical people will use this as an excuse, but sometimes it's simply a lack of knowledge and a lack of confidence, and confidence comes from competence, okay? It starts with competence. You have to be competent, and that means if you're evaluating multifamily properties, you need to evaluate a bunch of multifamily properties. You know, repetition is the mother of skill. The more you practice something, the better you're going to become. Now, Those of you that are analytical, don't use that as an excuse because at some point you do know it, okay? And you know you know it. Then there could be other things that are holding you back, maybe limiting belief systems. BS, they're called. That's why the acronym for that is BS. They're limiting belief systems, okay? You have to figure out what it is that's holding you back. But 
Competence is critical. It's number one. You have to study the material. Okay. So, you know, if you're afraid of taking action, you haven't dug into Michael's stuff or my stuff, or you haven't studied this, then that's a problem. But beyond that, once you're competent, that should start developing your confidence. Now, of course, you've got to get outside your comfort zone and go out there and communicate as well. And that's another thing with my students, you know, the ones that are super analytical, they can kill it on a spreadsheet, but going out and making a phone call, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, you've got to get uncomfortable because it won't be uncomfortable forever. Once you do it once or twice or three times, then it's no problem, but you got to push yourself. Just do what you're afraid of doing once, twice, three times, and you'll find that by taking action, that fear diminishes. I found, and I've tried to study this because it, sometimes it puzzles me that people either don't take action or they spend thousands of dollars on a coaching program. Right. Clearly, in my mind, before I spend ten, twenty thousand dollars on a coaching program, well, clearly I've made up my mind because I made a significant investment. Right. And then they don't follow through with that. I was always puzzled me. I think one of the main points is truly deciding. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Tony Robbins, mm. who you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's in your moments of decision that like your destiny shape. shape. Yep. And if you always trace it back to that decision point, I've observed that people who can recall the moment of decision are the ones who are successful because they're just taking action. In other words, if you've truly decided, there can be no other outcome but action. And if you haven't really decided or you're on the fence, you haven't truly decided, then the universe, you're getting mixed signals, right? And so these are the people that may take some action for some period of time and then all of a sudden inexplicably stop taking action. It's a 100% decision, okay? It's not a 99% decision. The word decision in its Latin root means to cut off. Mm. So an example of that would be if you're attacking the island by ship, once you get on shore, you burn the ships. There is no retreat. That's a decision. That's a good point because it goes back to your goal setting because when you're right. talking about your why, and I think one of the main problems in transforming your life, and this goes whatever you want, if you want to quit smoking, lose weight or whatever you want to do, right. improve relationships, is that you need to ask why, right? And so if your mm -hmm. current life ain't so bad, there's no reason to change it. And I have this conversation a lot with people who are high income earners. Their life's not so bad. Right. They're comfortable. No, they don't want to be a partner in law for the next 10 years. But honestly, does it have to be right now or could it be in three years? Well, so it goes back to that pain, right? So, oh, yes, I want to quit my job with real estate. That's great. What happens if you don't do that? Uh, it's not too bad. Versus the people that are like, if I don't get out of this freaking job, like right now in the next like month, two months, I'm going to shoot myself, right? I can't stand not spending time with my family anymore. And basically, failure is completely unacceptable. People ask me, what's your success rate? For those people, success rate is 100%. Sure, absolutely. No, and, and it's all mindset, you know, which is why I spend half of my podcast on the psychology of success because it is 80 to 90% of any success in anything is your mindset and your psychology. Only 20% is the real estate stuff. And, you know, I appreciate that we're doing this show just on mindset because, frankly, that's going to do more good for people than the actual real estate knowledge. And you're right, decision is critical. And I'm really glad you brought that up because that's a very, very important point. And, and yeah. you see the partial decision all the time. Sure. And I just get people sign up for this, they do that. And he's like, oh gosh, they've decided they took action. Good for you. And then all of a sudden something happens. Someone doesn't show up for a coaching call or doesn't do what they said they were going to do. Something came up at work and you're like, well, how important is this to you? And then you kind of go back to that why. And it just turns out that they hadn't truly decided yet. And so instead right. of trying to solve them with time management, you know, here's how you should manage your time. You go farther back. Hey, man, let's go back to why you decided in the first place. Right. Let's talk about right. your why. Associate with that. They have to associate with that. They have to feel it's, it. 
sometimes very painful for them when they come to the realization that, oh my gosh, you're right. I don't actually want or need this right, right now. You know, Tony Robbins takes people through what he calls the Dickens process. It's a fascinating process. I've been through it dozens of times. I spent 20 years with following Tony around the planet. But what it is, is it's exactly what we're talking about. It's the process where you get leverage on yourself. So he has people look at one of their limiting beliefs and associate with it and see what it's caused, the damage it's caused in their life and the consequences of that limiting belief. And then he turns the lights off and he says, I want you to stack 10 times more pain on that. And mm. it's just a process where you stack, stack, stack pain on that thing that's held you back and again, it's a belief system. It's BS. For the most part, 99% of these things were developed in our childhood. They have no basis in fact, but they hold us back. They limit us. And so it's really important to ideally do a process like that where you say to yourself, enough is enough. And not another day, not another minute. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. I'm not 99% of their way there. I haven't you know, almost made the decision. It's 100%. Very, very powerful exercise, and I wish that more people could experience because it, it really is life-changing. Yeah, I like the stacking of pain on top of that. That's really good. You know, we coach students to buy multifamily so they become financially free, right? So right. my goal, I know your goal, is we're always trying to get better at what we do because, you know, like I said, I say, I'm happy to take people's money, but I really want them to change their lives. Right. And so what exactly. can we do better as coaches to really help people's lives? And, and, and my belief, it's the psychology, my friend. It, it, I, you're, you're, absolutely, it, you're totally right. It, it's, but it's, 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 it's it. It's interesting. The moments of failure are in different parts along the process, right? It's like, okay, I need to take action to sign up for my coaching course. Done that. Great. I need you to show up for the coaching calls. Great. And that might last for two and a half months. And then some people go through the, what I call the graveyard of apartment building investing after two and a half, three months, they're like, oh, this is actually really monotonous work. I don't really have much to show for yet. And I'm just calling brokers, analyzing deals, making offers. You know, I'm just really discouraged by my lack of progress, right? And so they get this dip. They become discouraged. And if they're not surrounded by someone who can put what they're doing in perspective, they may not come through it. Or, no, right. or someone actually has some success, gets a property on a contract, gets into due diligence, works night and day, and then discovers issues you know, whatever it is, water problems, foundational issues, something they discover. And all of a sudden they have to get out of the deal and they've spent so much time getting to that point. They might've done nine months of work, finally get on a contract. And then all of a sudden they throw their hands up going, it's too hard. No, it happens. And if they don't know what it is they want and why they want it with clarity and they haven't revisited it daily. I mean, how do you think I got past losing 50 million bucks? It was ugly, my friend. I mean, it was truly, I thought I was set for life. I mean, I had everything. I had the toys. I lost my family even over it. I mean, I lost everything. You know, I got back on my feet. I actually got to coach myself. I actually joined a mastermind myself. I actually revisited what it was I wanted and why I wanted it. And of course, I got it back much, much faster than I did the first time. You know, again, you're, then you're like a train on a track. But I made a decision, okay? Because believe me, I wallowed for a while. I suffered. I was in pain. And I could pity party like the best of them, you know? And, and it was actually became a story. People will use a story to soften things and to justify their lack of decision-making. They have these stories. And I had one, and my story, of course, was I lost 50 million bucks. And, oh, you know, and people will put their arm around you. Oh, boy, I can feel your pain, you know. And they get comfort from that. But it's really these stories are softeners. You need to divorce your stories and embrace what it is you want and why you want it. So, and make that decision, like you said. This is great because I think you definitely have to set some goals early in the year. is a perfect time to do that. 
And, right. and then you really have to commit to those and decide to those goals. I think it really comes to that. And if we get off track, and it happens invariably, right? There's going to be setbacks. Sure. There's going to be delays. Sure. There always are. And sometimes we have those dark days. And you're like, why in the world am I doing this, right? And right. if you can't go back to the why, you know, yeah. and especially if- and, that, it, and it's not compelling enough. It's not compelling you, enough. You'll stop. You'll stop, you'll stop, which is what those people do. That That's why I'm so committed you know, with my students like you are. That's why we're having this conversation right now because it's so frustrating because we know they want it. There are numerous reasons why they derail. It's truly the lack of a decision, but they're either in comfort. Sometimes they will bump up against those limiting beliefs. And I say, if that happens, if you have, you know, that fear of failure, that fear of rejection, there are two primary fears. One of them is that you won't be enough and the other one is that you won't be loved. Those are the two primary fears. And all these other ones kind of tie into those two primary fears. And if you're bumping up against those, really take the time to write down what it is that, that you say to yourself or ask yourself and identify what those fears are. And if you do that with your adult rational mind, then you come up with reasons in your history, in your own history, that prove that they really are BS, belief systems, that they really are BS, you can look at them rationally and realize that you're letting things that have no basis in fact impact your ability to move forward. And this is so, so common. This is fresh in my mind because I'm actually preparing an exercise on this for my live event coming up here. And I, I want to have people identify these limiting beliefs so they can come up with empowering alternatives. And it's usually just the opposite of whatever that belief system is. It's the opposite. If you say to yourself, what if I fail? The opposite is, how can I ever fail if I learn and grow from my experiences? And how can I fail if I give something my 150% attention? You do an alternative belief, in other words, and maybe I'm too young. Well, you know, and then the alternative would be, well, youth is energy. Most people wish they had energy. And I will tell you, I've got coaching students and clients that are in their early 20s that are killing it. So it's these belief systems. And you know, I don't have enough money. Well, the reality is in multifamily real estate, you don't need the money. You need the team. You can find the money for all aspects of this business. You know that, Michael. You can put it all together. We're so limited by things that happened to us in our childhood, things maybe our parents told us, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and, or these self-imposed financial limitations we have as to how much we deserve to make. The reality is human beings make what they must make. Sometimes you need to elevate your musts. You need to raise them. That's right. And limiting beliefs, again, is psychological like we're talking about here. And there's a lot of limited beliefs, especially in the realm of financial freedom and real estate. And you just mentioned many of them. And a lot of that is a bit of ignorance. Some people just don't know that something else is possible. And that's what, you know, we're both kind of try to change that. We're well, they both, get trapped into yeah. believing. Belief is a feeling of certainty, even if it doesn't have any basis in fact. That's the problem. And we believe our own I keep saying BS. It's enough of that. A lot of, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of beeps on the show. But it's true. These belief systems, we believe these belief systems. And, you know, I did. I had an experience. You know, I got thrown into school when I was six years old, couldn't speak English, school with lots of bullies. And I was a real shy kid. And I got chased home, beat up all the time. But I had an experience when I was, I don't know, 10 or 11. I was on a playground and I had this crush on this beautiful girl, Carolyn beautiful curly dark hair. I was in love. And I, of course, never talked to her, never even really looked her in the face, but I was in love. But I made the mistake of telling my friend Becky Grills that I liked Carolyn. Well, one day on the playground, I see Carolyn with what looks like half the school coming over to talk to me. She comes up to me and I'm just excited. She's talking to me. First time I'd actually ever talked to her. She said, only thing out of her mouth, do you like mustard? 
I said, yes, I like mustard. She said, well, I hate mustard and I hate you. And then about 30 <laughs> kids laughed, okay? Just like you did, you, you rotten bad. <laughs> and, I'm laughing but, with you, Rob. And I was, no, really of course, laughing. I was devastated. And as a result of the bullies and that experience, I came up with this limiting question, which was how can I show them I'm good enough? Mm. Which presupposes what? That I'm not good enough. Yeah. And that drove me. I mean, that drove me to be a huge financial success more than once, but it also cost me my family. It cost me relationships. It cost me my health. It cost me all sorts of things. It was a disempowering belief system. And so many of us have these that are based in these childhood experiences. I mean, Carolyn didn't hate me. She didn't even know me. You know, even the bullies, the bullies are just insecure people that are trying to deal with their insecurity. To a young mind, you know, when that stuff gets reinforced, it's very, very difficult to change it. But the key is to shine your adult spotlight on it, to actually take the time to think about it. Yeah, yeah we do believe our own lies. Uh, right. like they may be completely baseless like they are. And I think that's really the value of education and mentoring and other people are encouraging them saying, look, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. This is actually not true. It's just you thinking it's true, but it's actually not true. Well, let yeah. me give you another thing that really helps. I alluded to it. Somebody I worked with let me drive his Corvette. It's really a good idea to experience what it is you want, as tactile and as immersive as you can. If you want a particular vehicle, go drive it. If you want to live in a house, go spend some time in there. Try to you know, spend a lot of time in there because you know, it's the whole puppy syndrome. When we experience something, if, let's say we bring a puppy home, there's no way we're going to give it back. Okay? If we experience something enough, there's no way we're going to go backwards. So, you know, you might try incorporating that. Those of you that are struggling to get where you want to go, try to do some experiential things associated with your goals. And that can be very, very helpful because, again, it triggers your reticular activating system as well, which is that, you know, filter in your brain that filters out all the millions of things that are coming at you every moment. You know, like right now, you're not thinking about your feet and how they feel in your shoes. But now that I mention it, of course you are. That's the reticular activating system. And that's why just the simple act of writing your goals, in fact, writing them regularly and writing your whys regularly and triggers that. It's like when you buy a car, you never really noticed them. And then you buy one, you see them everywhere. That's your reticular activating system. That is a dynamic you want to capitalize on as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing some of these important goal setting tips for us. And I know you have a bunch of fantastic resources that you provide for people who want to get started with multifamily. What are some of the things that- Oh, uh, sure. I've got a free book. It's just like you. Your book is fantastic on raising private money. I've got a 200 page. Really, it's a textbook about multifamily investing and people can get it just by texting my name, Rod, to 41411 and we'll send them a copy. You know, we just started this multifamily community on Facebook, which is just going great. It's only been around for about 10 weeks and we have 4,600 people in there and people can just go to multifamilycommunity.com and it's a direct link to that Facebook page and there's no promotion allowed there. A lot of people are connecting. In fact, I was just in LA picking the hotel for my April event and there were five people that met with me that met on that Facebook group and now they're peer mentoring. You know, guys, you are the sum total of the five people you hang around with the most. Make sure they elevate and empower and motivate you and you're aligned in your dreams. And it was so exciting to meet these five guys that met on that site. So get down there and learn and grow and meet people in your area. There are groups forming all over the country. So I highly recommend you do that. Like you do, Michael, I put out a ton of material on my website, videos, articles. A lot of them I write, some of them I curate. But just go to rodkleef.com, R-O-D-K-H-L-E-I-F.com, and there's a ton of great materials there. So 
hopefully that'll add some value to you guys. That's awesome, Ron. Real pleasure to have you back on the show. Likewise, about crushing it in 2018, man. Loved it. Thanks so much. Absolutely. My pleasure, Michael. Good to see you, my friend. All right, guys. I hope that was useful to you because uh, I really want you guys to crush 2018. It's going to be a great year. It starts off with setting some goals, going back to your why, stacking the pain, and then revisiting whenever necessary. All right, guys. So check out Rod Cleese Resources. Again, if you're considering multifamily, he's a great resource. He's got a great podcast called Lifetime Cashflow Through Real Estate. Great guy. And we're you know both passionate about helping people become financially free with multifamily. So check out his stuff for sure. And he mentioned my free ebook, which is The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. And you get it at themichaelblank.com forward slash ebook. And you'll also see the show notes for this here is themichaelblank.com forward slash session 88. All right, guys. Listen, I hope that you guys have a fantastic year. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.